Well, what a joy it is to see you on a Thursday night, uh, come out and study the Word of God. And so if you have a Bible, let's open up to the book of Ruth tonight. Uh, One of the things I was kind of, I'm not sure about this. I think I need to go through all my 66 books of the Bible. But I think there's only two books in the Bible that are named after an individual that weren't written by the individual. Uh, One is in the New Testament. Can you think of it? Philemon, that guy right there. And then uh, the book of Ruth. And I am so glad that whoever wrote the book of Ruth, and we don't know who it was, wrote it. Because it is an incredible story about an amazing woman. She really is. You know, one of the things that I've noticed, and I know you guys know this in life, is you tend to be like those you hang out with. Uh, It's just the way it is, right? You run with dogs, you're going to get fleas. You know how that goes, right? And... um, Uh, It's cool when you have uh, really good friends. It's cool that when you are a good friend. um, And also I think it's cool when you study the lives of people that are that are phenomenal, I guess you could say. You know, you study. We're going to get ready to get into the life of Samuel and David. And of course, you know, nothing like our Lord Jesus. And you study these books and you really walk with them and talk with them. And you're going to have the opportunity to be like them. And I don't know if you guys are aware of how amazing Ruth is. She is a beautiful person for any of us here to emulate. And so I'm excited about this book as I was reading through it today over and over again. Just kind of like, man, I got choked up in so many different sections of the book. Um, One person said this, by any standards, the book of Ruth is a classic short story. It has been called the most beautiful short story ever written. And so today we're probably going to cover one chapter. And the next week we might have to just finish the book. We'll see what the Lord wants because it's just a a really neat, um, really neat love story. You know, many see the book of Ruth as a love story, a love story between Ruth and Boaz. And of course, to a certain degree it is. But prior to that love story, there's actually a more beautiful love story. And that is the love that Ruth possessed and demonstrated towards her mother-in-law, Naomi. We're going to see a lot of that tonight. You know, I hope we can all learn to love like Ruth did. And although the love is amazing, if you look even deeper than that, you will find that there is an even greater and more amazing love that's represented here. And this is a story of God's love for his bride. And it doesn't matter if you're a dude, you know, you're part of the the bride of Christ, you guys. And Jesus is like the Boaz, and we're like Ruth. And man, God's love for you is unparalleled. And we need to see that tonight. Uh, Ruth is is really cool. Boaz is is an amazing hero of the story. And uh, tonight we're going to get blessed. Uh, I guess if you want to think of a theme, some people will say this, God's providential guidance And how God blesses all who trust him. We also know that there's a theme of redemption uh, through our kinsman redeemer. Um, Some say a key verse, if you want to go over real quick to Ruth chapter 2 verse 12. It says, the Lord repay your work. These were the words of Boaz. And a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. And, And I love that. You know, one of the things the Lord's shown me is this, you know, if you're a Christian here today, if you have truly committed your heart to follow Jesus Christ, not just a church thing, not just, uh, you know, a savior thing, but a Lord thing. If you have said in your heart that God is the Lord of my life, I've surrendered to him, he died for me on the cross, you know, then it's cool. Your, your sins are forgiven you. And we have that grace and that place in heaven one day. But, you know, one thing that we cannot escape, you guys, and we just got to come to grips with this, is that God blesses obedience. He really does. You know, God, uh, if you choose to get into the word, if you choose to, to read the Bible with your family, God will bless you and God will bless your children. You will reward, you will reap the dividends of that. You know, if you turn to turn, you choose to turn the TV off, and I and I think that for a lot of you here, that's a decision that you just need to make. And I'm not getting legalistic or anything. I'm just telling you, a lot of times, man, you're watching TV for so long, and it is just a waste of time. 
It's a waste of time. I'm not saying you can never watch TV, but man, time yourself. Ask the Lord, you know, what is it, Lord, you want from my life? And what am I watching? What am I inputting? Uh, my pastor always used to tell me, garbage in, garbage out, right? You are what you eat. And so be really careful with all those things. But, you know, Ruth, uh, she was just a beautiful, obedient woman. And God blessed her. And I'm telling you this right now, that if you choose to be obedient, God will bless your life. God will do things that will bring him glory that you've never seen before. You know, and so it's really cool studying this book. Um, Warren Wiersbe, he outlines the book like this. He says in chapter one, it's sorrow and weeping. In chapter two is service and working. In chapter three is submission and waiting. And then in chapter four is satisfaction and wedding. And that's when she gets married. And it's kind of cool when you read that. You know, I was thinking about how many of you ladies here like a love story? You all, you all do. Most of you do, huh? I mean, it's kind of funny. Even in the Spider-Man movie, there's a love story, huh? <laughs> or you watch some of these war movies, man, and there's a love story there. You know, there's the guys and there's the girls. But again, like I said before, man, the whole Bible is a love story. It's God saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, from cover to cover, and God proving his love. And I pray that we would understand that love, because it's that love that will really change us. You know, the rules that we have, it's cool, they change us from the outside, but the love that we discover will change us from the inside. And so look what we read here in verse 1 and 2. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. And we read in verse 1 that the book of Judges took place, I mean the book of Ruth took place in the days when the Judges ruled. Now we just got done studying the book of Judges and it's hard to believe that something so beautiful can take place in days that were so dark, huh? But we know that's when it was, you know, taking place. Here we see that in the Lord's eyes this is possible you know, one of the things that we see in the scriptures is that even in the most wicked surroundings, the Lord oftentimes has his remnant, right? Remember Elijah? You read the book of First uh, Kings. He bursts onto the scene in chapter 17. And, you know, he declared war. And, uh, you know, he thought he was the only faithful one left. And then the Lord revealed to him, man, you know what? I have a remnant. There's still 7,000 in this wicked place of Israel that have not bowed their knees to Baal. And so it's kind of cool. There's a, a remnant, you know, and I want to encourage you because in all reality, we're living in days when you really scrutinize things that are very wicked, very wicked. The things that you see on TV, the movies that are out there, the music that's out there. It's just a wicked time. The, the education system, so many things that we see that are surrounding us. And, you know, you know, we need to know, though, that, that you and I, we can really be lights in the darkness. We are called out of the world, and we can be different than this world. And that's why it's so amazing to me, because, you know, we've read the Bible many times, right? You guys have read it. Ruth is a beautiful woman, and, and she was living in some wicked times. Because it was in the days when the judges ruled. So we see when it took place. You know, in, the, in those days, it says right here, that there was a famine in the land. If you have an NLT, it says there was a severe famine. That's the way the Hebrew word describes it. And so there there is a famine in the land. And what ends up happening was this guy, Elimelech, he moves his family to Moab. And that would be on the other side of the Jordan River there, just a, a little south, probably about 50 miles from where they were living. Now, in looking at that, I know some have said this guy was off. Uh, we sometimes like to speculate as to the decision on the part of Elimelech to move his family from Israel to Moab. Some will say he was running from the situation. Some will say he probably should have never gone there. 
You know, and I'll be honest with you. If I had to guess, I would say it was probably not a good move and more than likely it was negative guidance on his part. But you got to remember that the Bible doesn't say that. You know, in the book of Genesis chapter 45, God guided for the entire family of Israel to move to Egypt, right, during a severe famine. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, we know that Abram went to Egypt during a famine. In Genesis 26, Isaac went to the land of the Philistines in a famine. In 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 1, interesting, Elisha said this. He spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life. And he said, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine. And furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. And so, the only reason I say that, to me it's interesting when you read the Bible, that although we might assume this was a bad move on his part, we don't know for 100% sure. And, and part of the reason I say that is this. Because a lot of times people will look at what happened to Naomi, what happened to her, we're going to see her husband dies, her sons die, and we, we say it's because of, you know, the decisions that Elimelech made. And then what they end up doing is they end up blaming everything on them. And then what ends up happening is Naomi, she falls into this self-condemnation that, that we need to be careful we don't put on the text. You see, the reason I think this is because we need to be careful we don't run, you know, to conclusions. We need to make sure that the Lord teaches us in the text regarding all the tragedies of life. All I know is they went to this place when there was a famine. And, um, and then look what happens in verse 3. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. Now the Bible is silent as to how he died. And the Bible is silent as to why he died. And so we need to be careful as well. Because a lot of people will say it's because... He went there. See, the bottom line is this. Tragedies hit us all. You know, tragedies, calamities, they hit both the righteous and the unrighteous. And sometimes they hit really hard. You know, as I was going through the text today, I was thinking, Lord, what are, what are the things that we're really going to come away with, Lord? You know, and, and for some of you here, maybe you have gone through, you know, tragedies and calamities. Some of you here, you're going to go through things that you would have never imagined. And so one of the things I think the Lord wants to do is to encourage us through the text that in spite of all the difficulties that we will experience in this fallen world, that God is still on the throne and God has a plan. I can't imagine what it would be like to have you know, you're, there you are, and you're married, and, and who knows, maybe they were happily married, and then one day your spouse is gone. But it, even more happens. Look what it says in verse 4. Now they took wives of the woman of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. And then Malon and Kilian also died. And so the woman survived her two sons, and her husband. And so, imagine that. You know, your husband dies, ladies. And then, you know, you've got two sons and then both of them die. Imagine that. Now again, we don't know if it was right for them to move. But we do know this. It was wrong for the sons to marry Moabite women, right? We know that. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 3 talks about that. And so there's a couple of things that we need to be careful of in reading our text so far. You know, because some might say, you know, I know the story, Manny. And in the end, Ruth, the Moabitess, is a cool gal, you know. Uh, she's awesome. And so, you know, I can almost hear a young person come up to me after the study and say, See, Ruth was a non-believer and look how good she turned out to be. And, and, you know, we got to be careful with stuff like that. You know, Ruth turned out to be an exception, an exceptionally virtuous woman. But it's wrong to say by experience, and that is anyone's experience, that it's okay for a believer to marry a non-believer. 
it violates scripture, right? Deuteronomy 7 verse 3, 2 Corinthians 6 14. And so we got to make sure, you guys, that we never base our decisions on his or her situation. We always need to base our decisions on God's revelation. Another dangerous doctrine, however, is that in reading this right here, you might say God killed the sons because of their disobedience. But again, you guys, we need to be careful in making judgments. We need to be so careful. And I know that sometimes we get tempted. Oh, you know, they that person died and I bet God got them. I know what they did and it's judgment. You know, they, they lost their child or maybe it was a miscarriage. And things happen and people begin to jump to conclusions like that. You know, just be so careful, those dangerous doctrines in reading this right here. We need to make sure uh, that we know Deuteronomy 29.29. You guys know that one? Does anybody know Deuteronomy 29.29? The secret things belong to the Lord, okay? <laughs> and if God is silent, you know, let's, let's stay silent on those things. Right now, what God is just giving us is the unfolding of the history. That in the days of Judges, there was a man... And, and this man, there was a famine. And, and, and you know, if you want to, I suppose in one sense you might give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe the Lord led him, even like the Lord led Mary, Joseph, and Jesus out of Israel into Egypt for their protection, for their you know, provision in a certain time. I don't know. We don't know for sure. Probably not, but we don't know. And then while they're there, the husband dies. A couple of sons get married, but then they die. And then that's the dilemma they're in. And so we get to the part of the chapter now in verse 6. It says, And then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. And therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Here we see Naomi decided to go back to Israel. A word came to her that the Lord had visited his people. The NIV says the Lord had come to the aid of his people. Another version says the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. And so she heard it, right, through the grace vine. Now, initially, as they're leaving they're to go from Moab to Israel, all three of them are headed out, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. But then, somewhere along the way, early stages, Naomi turns to her two daughters-in-law and tells them, you know what, go back. Go back to your mother's house. You've been so kind to me. You've been so kind to us. I hope the Lord deals kindly with you. We see in verse 9, notice what it says, the Lord grant that you might find rest each in the house of her husband. What she says right there in looking at that is that the Hebrew word, it's kind of identical. Look what it says in chapter 3. If you turn over to chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that I may be well with you? The Hebrew word is almost identical to this word translated security. And so what she was telling them basically is, you know what? Don't come with me to Israel. Stay here and, and get married. Find a man that can give you the security that you need as a woman. Naomi was counseling them to stay in Moab, get married, and have that type of family and husband and security. Something that undoubtedly every single woman would want, right? Again, the NLT says, may the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And so, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but uh, teachers tell us that more than likely if these ladies were to go back to Israel, typically speaking, the, the, the typical Israelite wouldn't marry a Moabite. And so, you know, she says, you know what, stay here. 
And so what ends up happening in verse 10, they respond and they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, in looking at this right here, we see at first, both the young ladies express the desire to stay together. We saw that there in verse 10. But then Naomi begins to really check, to, to really reason with them. Uh, and she gives them what we would might, might consider valid choices in life, you know? I mean, you know, what woman doesn't want to get married and have kids? You know, and so she begins to tell them, your chances are slim. According to the Levitical law, if you read Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10, one of the brothers of the deceased could kind of help them out and take that type of initiative to make sure that the woman would have sons. But the problem was, Naomi expresses it here, I have no other sons. And even if I was to get married tonight, you know, would you wait all that time for my sons to grow up? Basically, she's trying to share with them, no, you go back. No, my daughters, it grieves me very much for your sakes, she says, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. You know, and when you look at this right here, I think it's a very difficult situation for Naomi. From a human perspective, you know, we can completely understand why she thought that the hand of the Lord was against her, huh? I mean, think about it. Her husband dies. Her two sons die. And there she is. You know, but the thing is, and this is one of the things that we have to come away with tonight, because I know that some of you here are going through hard times. And there's no doubt in my mind that the devil tells you that God is against you. I mean, sometimes even Christians <laughs> might tell you that God is against you. And what do you do during those times? A lot of times you believe that. You know, you forget the amazing truth that in all reality, God is not against you. That if you're a child of God, that He is for you. You know, when we go through the difficulties of life, and I know it's tough, man, we got to make sure that we are not limited to the human perspective. We need to have God's perspective. You guys remember Genesis chapter 42, verse 36? I'm sure you don't by heart, right? But there we read the story and it says this, And Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. And you guys remember the story right there? What had happened was... You know, Jacob, man, you know, he thought that God was against him because of all the calamities that were taking place. He had lost Joseph and, and, and Simeon, and now he was, you know, on the brink of losing Benjamin. But, you know, it was in that whole process of losing Joseph, of losing Simeon, and now, you know, the requirement of Benjamin, it was in that whole process that God was working out his plan to save Israel. But here he is thinking what? All these things are against him. When God was in the middle of saving Jacob and all his family by sending Joseph to Egypt and pulling all the strings that would pull all his family to safety, Jacob thought all these things were against him. And they weren't. In all reality, they were for him. You know, and the bottom line is, even looking at that story, if people are mean and mean you know, bad things against you. Remember what Joseph said in Genesis 50 verse 20? He said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about as it is this day to save many people. You know, Naomi thought that God was against her because her husband died and her sons died. 
And from a human perspective, of course, you can understand that and your heart goes out to them. But it's at that point that they need and we need to understand the divine perspective. Boy, was she wrong, huh? You know, and if you're here today and you're a child of God, if you ever think that God is against you, let me tell you something, man. You are wrong big time. Uh, watch, go over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And look what it says in verse 31. It says, What then shall we say to these things? This is what we should say. If God is for us, who can be against us? It says right here, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, here it is in verse 37, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's why you go back to verse 28. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. You see, when you go through those things, and man, I say that, and I, I say that with just a heart that's heavy because I know some of you here, and I, I, we don't know why. You know, why was it that, that James was killed and, and Peter let out of prison, you know? Why is it that this happens to them and, and this happens to them and things are so different? You know, why is that? You know, and people go through difficulties and a lot of times, man, they don't walk with the Lord anymore. When you hit these difficulties, people die, things happen. Man, my encouragement to you is to know that God is not against you. That nothing can separate you from His love. And as a matter of fact, we need to know what? That God is for us. I like Psalm 119 in verse 6. It says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. Here we see back in Ruth that Naomi reasons with her daughters-in-law to stay in Moab so that you can get married and have children. She says, Don't go with me because even God is against me. Look what we read in verse 14. As a response to that, it says, And then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. She's like, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. No, I'm just joking. That's not what that means. That means she's like, okay, all right. And she didn't try to talk her out of it. And what we see right here is just so beautiful. These are my marriage vows right here, man. You know, when I read this right here and I think about it. But here we see a love between Ruth that Ruth had actually towards Naomi that is just so amazing to me. 
And we see a contrast here, you know, it's actually a common contrast in commitment. It says right here that Orpah kissed her, you know, and a lot of people, I think that's their commitment, you know, they'll, they'll kiss. And, and I guess in one sense, you know, there's something there, but not everything. There's kind of like a, a lip service. There's, it's just, you know, it, it only goes so far. And you know, I would say that most of us here are, the, are that type of people. You know, that this is how we are in our commitment to God. This is how we are in our commitment sometimes to each other. We just kiss each other, you know, if I could just say it that way. And, and, and what I think God is calling me to, and I think what God's calling us to, is a, is a deeper commitment. Like the commitment that Ruth had. Notice it says right there in verse 14 that Ruth clung to her. That Ruth clung to her. The same Hebrew word is used in Genesis 2, verse 24. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and be joined or cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You know, and we read that right there, and that's marriage, right? And we know that. But remember right here, looking at this, this is heavy, because here's the same type of commitment, not in marriage, but it's Ruth's mother-in-law. Okay, for some of you ladies, now stop and think about that for a second. Okay, not even her mother, it's not her spouse, it's her mother-in-law, which sometimes they call them outlaws, we know that they're not, that's from the world, right? And it's a really heart check, I, I think for, for some of us here, you know, is that the type of love that you have for your mother-in-law? I mean, we can take it, of course, into any relationship, but I think for some of you here, it's a real practical thing. You know, it's not just a mother-in-law, though. This is Naomi, the bad luck Naomi, right? I mean, the bitter Naomi. I mean, when we look at the, the chapter right here, we're going to see a huge contrast between Naomi and Ruth. You know, some would say, in looking at Naomi, that, you know, they might think she was godly. But you know what? I don't think so. I do not think that Naomi was a godly woman. You know, notice here in verse 15, it says she has no problem sending her daughter-in-laws back to their false gods. Look what she says in verse 15. You know, uh, look, your sister-in-law's gone back to her people and to her gods. If she was a godly woman, why would she send them back to the god of Moab, Chemosh? There's no salvation there. You know, when you look at and Naomi, um, she doesn't seem to be a godly woman for a number of reasons. Warren Worsby says Naomi's decision was right, but her motive was wrong. She was still interested primarily in food, not in fellowship with God. She was returning to her land, but not to her Lord. Oh, there's food in Israel again. You know, God's blessed their crops. I heard they opened a Panera or whatever it is, you know. I'm going to go back there. You know, and, and the only reason I say that is because I know that how some people's love is. That they will love you with the Ruth type of love if you've got, you know, everything lined up. But let me tell you something, okay? Right here, right now, that is not God's love. You see? God calls us to love our neighbor and He puts people in our path that are, are very unlovely. And God says, if you want to be like me, you need to love them like Ruth did, even if it's your mother-in-law. <laughs> but a lot of you here, you got issues, huh? You've got, you know, relationships that are severed because we don't have this type of love. We don't have this type of beauty. Ruth is just a beautiful young lady that was committed to someone. Why? Because God had simply called her to be committed to her. That when she looked at her, yeah, I'm sure she saw her bitterness. Yeah, I'm sure she saw that, you know, she had a lot of issues in her life. But you want to know one thing that I think that Ruth saw probably more than anything else? She saw that Naomi needed her. And she was not willing to abandon her. And in that love, I, I think, man, we learn so much about God's love towards us. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
You see, and I know in reading this right here, it was a real challenge for me because, man, I was thinking, wow, Naomi, she, she doesn't seem, you know, very lovely. What was it that made Ruth love her? You know, up to this point, I don't really see anything attractive in Naomi that Ruth would make Ruth want to stay with her. But she does. And again, I don't think it's because of anything that was in Naomi, but rather because of something that was in Ruth. It's something that we call love. It's something that we would call care, concern, commitment. That even though she would have been justified in going her own way, not only does she choose you know, someone else over herself, she does so wholeheartedly. She does so with such a deep commitment that verse 16 and 17 are probably some of the greatest expressions of commitment that have ever been voiced from the lips of a human being. And they came in this whole context. And she makes it very, very clear. And she says there, basically, please stop asking me to leave you because I will never leave you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. I will leave my people for your people. I will leave my gods for your gods. And what we find is, man, her commitment to the Lord, I think actually, you know, just moved her in her commitment to Naomi. She says, in essence, you're stuck with me. We're going to die together. And in those days, they would bury you in the same tomb, right? And so she says, man, we're going to be buried together. And I think that we need to learn from that, you guys. I think that there's a lot of that. Um, today was kind of funny. Were you guys cold today? Or was I the only one? I was so cold. And I was trying to... Shelly made me work really hard yesterday. And I thought, I'm getting sick, man. Shelly made me work too hard yesterday. So I was in my office all day. And you can ask Henry. I had my heater on. I was so cold. I couldn't warm up. And then at lunchtime, I told Henry, man, we got to eat outside in the sun. We're going to do a tailgate today, you know, because I just, I'm so cold, right? And then the Lord, he really ministered to me. And I think this is why I was cold. Number one, because I'm a wimp, okay? <laughs> no. Normally, I'm not. I don't know what it is. But number two is because the Lord was kind of giving me an illustration. You know what the Bible says is going to happen in the last days? That the love of many is going to wax cold. Look around, you guys. We don't see a lot of love like this, huh? You know, we love those who love us. We love those who are like us. But would we find a Naomi, that someone God calls us to love, someone who really needs that love? With this type of commitment. You know, we really, I think, should learn from this. You know, one of the things that's kind of interesting, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but Ruth, her name means friendship. It's beautiful, huh? And then she's a really good illustration of what a friend is. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, and what we find is that Ruth, I think she knew the Lord, man. I think she knew the Lord for a couple of reasons. Number one, she invokes his name there in verse 17, right? The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. And secondly, because the love that she has and the life that she lives can only be found in someone who has been found in the Lord, huh? And so as we go through the book of Ruth, you're going to see this beautiful woman, you know, who is so different. She loved her mother-in-law, and she had this heart for her. She knew Naomi needed her, and she was willing to meet that need, to keep her mother-in-law alive, even if it meant that she herself must die to do so. And so we read in verse 19, it says, Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has 
afflicted me. And so they travel from Moab to Israel, and then eventually they hit Bethlehem. And all the ladies, it says right here, are excited to see her. Is this Naomi? Now, some commentators of this section right here, they say it might not just be like, oh, hi, how are you? They're so excited. It might be like, you know how girls a lot of times like like to gossip, right? Oh, look what happened to her and the buzz just kind of goes around the village, man. You know, and, I, and unfortunately, and it's sad to say, there's a lot of gossip. There's a lot of negative talk that flies. And it's not just, you know, the girls. Sometimes it's the guys, but a lot of times it's the guys. But anyways, they, they go to the, 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 the Bethlehem. And what ends up happening is she says, you know what, don't call me Naomi. And her name means pleasant. Or some even say lovely. Don't call me pleasant. Don't call me lovely. She says, instead, call me Mara. And we know that Mara means what? It means bitter. She says this, For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. The Sovereign One has caused me to suffer. You know, what Naomi is basically saying is that he doesn't care. It's clear that he's against me. You know, when I went out, she says, I was full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. And here I am. I have nothing. Right? That's what she says. Do you guys ever say that? I hope you don't. Oh, I've got nothing, you know? I mean, I think we need to call a timeout, right? And, you know, bring out the, the cameras again and roll it back. Why? What about this beautiful young woman named Ruth who is completely committed to her? What about her? She's not empty. What about the providence and plan of God that is working on her behalf so that what would end up happening was that she would be a part of God's work and salvation to the world, that she would actually be a part of the lineage of the Messiah. And what we find is Naomi here is tragically bitter and blind to the blessings of God. What she does is she accuses God of being bitter towards her, when in all reality, she's being bitter towards Him, right? And just in case you're struggling with that here today, let me give you a couple of verses. Ephesians 4, verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You know, get rid of any trace of bitterness because it will be a poison to you, right? Acts chapter 8, verse 23, it says, For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. You see, we need to put bitterness away. We need to dig bitterness out or it just might keep us and others away from God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. And that's what ended up happening with Naomi. There was bitterness. It wasn't probably just a root of bitterness deep down inside. I mean, it was, it was full-blown bitterness now. And yet in all reality, God had been working a work in her life. From a human perspective, it's probably understandable that she would feel that way. But see, we don't have the simple human perspective. We have God's perspective and we have an understanding that no matter what we go through, and I know some of you here have gone through incredible things and some of you here will go through incredible things and those things might bring you to a place where you think that God is against you and you think that nothing good can come out of this. What we need to see in looking at this right here is that God is on the throne and we need to make a decision of whether or not we're going to walk by faith or we're going to walk by feelings. You know, when you go through the trials of your life, man, I want to encourage you to be so careful. What do you guys do with trials? Some people, they try to escape trials, right? And, you know, their hands are kind of held out in a stop fashion. You know, and there's a trial in their life, and, and there's kind of like, I'm going to escape this, right? Some people, they simply endure trials, and their hands are closed in a fist type of fashion. It could be a stop fashion or a fist fashion. But my encouragement to you today as we go through the trials is not just, you know, 
uh, try to escape them, not try to just endure them. My encouragement to you today is to embrace those trials. Embrace those trials with hands lifted up to the Father in the fashion of surrender. Because if you go with the stop and you go with the closed fist, then you're not going to grow. And that's kind of where Naomi was. But if you go with a heart of surrender, remember, Ruth's husband died too. If you go with a heart of surrender, you want to know what's going to happen? You will grow and you will glow for the glory of God. And so what ends up happening in verse 22, the last verse, it says, And so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And that's when Wheaties started right there. <laughs> you know, this is going to set us up for next week. And it's going to be so cool when we see what ends up happening. This amazing love story in so many ways. But before we go, you guys, just a, a couple of closing thoughts right here. You know, in, in one sense, and this is what we need to kind of, I guess, make it personal. The book of Ruth, it doesn't deal with the major events or institutions in Israel's history. But what does it do? It deals with the personal problems and concerns of a single family. You know, and every once in a while, I think we need to kind of come back to it like that. You know, that, you know, we've got this big thing going on. And you've got the church and you've got whatever it is, the global denomination or even the congregation. But it's kind of cool to be able to look at this and to make it very, very personal. There you are. And there you are with your family. You know, and we take these things to heart. You see, we can, we will, we should all be able to identify with these things as we go through life. And, and let me just close with three things. Number one, our life. Our life can be hard. And I don't know, some of you here, maybe for you it's been real easy, you know, but I think of that individual over there who's, whose child, you know, committed suicide. I mean, how do they handle something like that? Or I think of that individual right there whose wife, you know, just left them, or this guy over here. I mean, there's this crazy things. And so I just want to, and I know some of you here, you're not going to face anything like that, you know, and that's cool, praise God for you. But man, what about, you know, the others that are? We got to know that our life can be hard. And then the second thing is our love can be real. You know, our love can be real. It doesn't matter if you're a Moabitess, man. It doesn't matter what your upbringing is or where you've been your whole life or how you're wired. You want to know how I know that your love can be real? Because if you give your life to Jesus Christ, then God lives in you. And when God lives in you, even though life can be hard, your love can be real. And I pray that we would know that in our study today, that our life can be hard, our love can be real. And the third thing is this, that our Lord is on the throne. Amen? Look look back at chapter 1. I know a lot of you close your Bibles already, but look at chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. When the judges ruled. And you looked at there and you think, wow, the judges are ruling. And maybe today you're thinking the judges are ruling. But you want to know something, man? God is overruling. God is working a work and he wants to work a glorious work in our life where we can, you know, be a friend and that we can know we have a friend like the Lord, man. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And I pray that no matter what ends up happening in your life, you know, because a lot of times we, you know, live life and you name it, man. We try to please others. We try to please ourselves, and and, you know, what ends up happening is we just find ourselves, I think, in a healthy spot where it's just like, you know what, Lord, that is so draining to me. I can't please everybody and I, and I can't please myself. Lord, I'm going to do my best from this day forward to please you. And I tell you what, Lord, I sure would like to have the love 
that Ruth had. The love that I read about today in Ruth chapter 1. And so, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, do that work in our hearts. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us to study your word together. I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged by these words. We would be challenged, Lord, to love our our mother-in-laws, Lord, that we would make it very practical in our life. Who is it, Lord, that you want us to love? I know your word talks about to love everyone and to love our neighbor, but maybe, Lord, tonight, if we could just get personal, that your Holy Spirit is putting a finger on someone that we need to love, someone who really needs that love. Lord, we just thank you so much for the example of Ruth and the work you did in her life, for her commitment, Lord. And Father, we pray that you would make us those types of people. And Lord, as we close tonight, I also want to pray, Father, for anyone here who doesn't know you, Anyone here, Lord, who came and they just kind of found themselves here and they maybe don't even know why. And I pray they would know uh, that, Lord, you love them. Lord, that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for them. And Lord, that if they would commit their life to you, Lord, to choose uh, to repent of their sins and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, that tonight can be the night of salvation. So, Lord... We pray you would do that work because you are the Savior. We do thank you so much, Father. We just pray that you be with us now as we sing, as we go our way. Lord, fill our hearts, Lord, not only here in the congregation, not only here in the sanctuary, but I want to pray, especially tonight, Lord, as we go home, as we're driving home, as we enter into our house, whatever the situation is, I know some here live alone, Some have their families, but as we go home today, that we would really resolve in our hearts, Lord God, to be the people that you want us to be. We thank you so much, Father, for allowing us this time. May you do that work by your Holy Spirit in every heart, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's all stand. We'll close with a song. God bless you.